0: Hey, welcome to the podcast, Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. My name is Casey Scott. Normally, we'd be going to Dr. Matt, but... uh Today, that's not going to happen. What we're going to do is recap an older episode of a friend and colleague of mine. His name is Alema Harrington. Uh, you might know him because he does the halftime for the Jazz. Uh, he's the Mr. Mac guy. Uh, he's been a Utah staple for many, many years who battled substance abuse and addiction and now is doing wonderful things in the world of recovery. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring up uh, Alema's podcast and uh, kind of go over that once again is because when I'm out and about a lot of people will come up to me and they'll go Casey what's with your industry you know because you know myself having an addiction problem Alema Harrington we've had a couple other notable Utah um TV personalities battle addiction. We've had Randall Carlisle uh, on the podcast who has battled addiction and is doing wonderful things at Odyssey House. Uh, and they think it's something to do with uh, our industry. And although our industry is fast-paced and does lend itself to certain things, I don't think it's an industry problem. I think it's a societal problem. Um, I think that's what it is. And the reason ours is, addictions and our problems become so noteworthy or talked about is because we've spent the majority of our life in front of the public on TV. And so when we mess up and we battle things, uh, that makes the news. Uh, But I don't think it's our industry that makes us an addict. Um, I don't think there's any industry out there that makes somebody an addict. I think it's societal and I think it's genetics and I think it's trauma and whatever it is that leads you into that area. But I wanted to talk a little something about uh, the owners of this podcast, uh, KSL. Here's the thing, uh, and I tell this all the time when I'm out doing uh, live TV interviews, um, When you do the news and you make the news, that doesn't make the news happy. And that's exactly what I did with my DUI and my wreck and what happened to me. And I knew it was going to be a TV story. So I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast, but when I got into my accident and I'm laying on the ground, uh, sirens are going, smoke is in the air, um, and I knew my life was forever going to be changed. When I got back to my house, I made two calls. One, I called, uh, the uni, which is now the Huntsman mental health Institute and said, I need your help. I need to be there. And, uh, that's when I checked myself into detox and started my road to recovery. The second call I made to KSL. Um, and I called the news desk and I said, Hey, this is what happened. And, uh, I just want to give you guys heads up because it's going to be a big news story. And I need you guys not to be blindsided by it. I think I owe you this. And so I'm telling you this. And after this, you won't be able to talk to me because I'm, I'm going into detox. And the reason I did that was because I knew it was going to be news. I knew it was going to be everywhere. And uh, they took a chance on me, so I didn't want them to be blindsided, like I said. Um, and after that, I thought for sure my career in broadcast and television was going to be over. And lo and behold, three years later, they call me back and they offer me my job. But the unique thing I think about KSL is I knew my undoing was going to be newsworthy. I didn't think my comeback was going to be newsworthy. And KSL has made that newsworthy. They've given me my job back. At no point has anyone ever came to me and said, Hey, Lighten up on your sobriety. Lighten, not, not on my sobriety, but on how vocal you are about it. And as a matter of fact, they let me lean into it. And any chance I get to go out and tell my story in communities, schools, whatever it is, if I ever need the time off, KSL says take it. They want me to share my story. They want my story to be able to help somebody else find their sobriety and find their recovery. So what I want people to realize out there when you find your favorite celebrity or your musician or somebody who is going down, it seems to be everyone always wants to talk about the undoing. But why can't we talk as much about the undoing as we do? the? Why can't we talk more about the recovery than the undoing? If that makes sense. I'm getting a little lost in my thoughts here. But what I'm saying is, though, is that KSL celebrates my recovery. They gave me a second chance and they're giving me the uh, ability to go out and tell my story. So let's be as vocal as we can for those in recovery as we do for those in addiction, because recovery is what makes it all worth it. It, it gives you that second chance, and if we can celebrate people's recovery, those who are battling addiction right now might know that there's life after, because there is, and life does get better. So when you're listening to uh, Lemma's story today, think of all the wonderful things he's doing now in recovery, and it's because he's sober that he's allowed to do those. So with that, I give you Lemma Harrington. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction, but more importantly, about recovery. And it's brought to you by useonlyasdirected.org. They've got a three-part solution, speak out, opt out, and of course, throw out. And uh, make sure you talk to your doctor and... Uh, we want to thank them for all their help, Doctor Matt. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Big show today, Alema Harrington. We're going to get to him in just a Excited. second. Excited, but I wanted to talk to you real quick because you came in, you had you kind of <laughs> disheveled, but your hair was blown back. You got the motorcycle out.
1: Yeah, yeah, riding the bike today, so first day out. W- what made you want to do that? Ride the bike? Yeah. Oh, see, if you've been on a motorcycle, you don't ever have to ask that question because it's just, it is such a wonderful freeing experience to get on two wheels and just cruise a little bit. I can't say that I'm a big biker. I don't go to, you know, the big conventions and all of that, but I love getting out and riding my Honda around. It's a lot of fun.
0: Do you have a shirt that says, if you can read this, my girlfriend fell off?
1: <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> I i think I'll get one. Right? My, my girlfriend doesn't want to ride with me, so it, it would always be applicable, you know.
0: Hey, I- I'm glad we got a Alema here today, and we're going to talk to him in just a second. But I was thinking to myself as I was driving down here, I mean, you know, with all the stuff that's going on right now with COVID, job insecurity, housing, and, and so much, which seems to be a lot for normies, as we call people who don't have addictions to deal with. Could you imagine what it's like right now oh, for yeah. somebody who's also battling an addiction or a family member?
1: Well, we know that the the relapses are up around the country. Uh, substance abuse in general is up. Um, you know, people are turning to what they know, which are some bad habits to kind of deal with that stress and anxiety. And the, and it's a really tough gig right now to, to stay sober. So um, we're happy to be here and highlight some options and ways to help people stay sober during this time.
0: Now, a lot of industries and a lot of the businesses are actually down right now. But you said the mental health field is oh. really having... An I'm increase. busy.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think that that's kind of we've talked about in past shows that maybe the next pandemic is going to be kind of a mental health pandemic. How do we as a world adjust to changes in how we work, how we go to school? You know, I talk to parents whose little kids are having meltdowns of all the stress and pressure trying to figure out how to get their schoolwork done online up to parents who have maybe lost a job or now they're underemployed and they're trying to figure out how to support their family. Um, f- many people reaching out to us on Facebook about their stresses with uh, trying to stay sober or deal with an addiction, substance abuse. Am I addicted? Am I not? But people, I mean, as a joke, people are saying, oh, you can start drinking at 10 a.m. now, you know, and and it's like, no, 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 that's that's, that's not You don't get a free pass. It's not healthy. Um, but I, I get that. I get that. The stress and, and the boredom, right? right that's another thing not being able all the, the introverts are ruling the world but the rest of us that are a little more extroverted and we're not out seeing our buddies and you know shaking hands and doing all that stuff that makes us feel connected you have to find alternative ways to feel connected otherwise you sort of collapse in on yourself, and, and substance abuse can become part of that.
0: And Project Recovery wants to be a resource for you. Of course, you can hit us up on all our social pages. You can email us. And if there's anything we can do, uh, we'd love to be able to help you out. But what we can do is give you another great episode.
2: And today, we're super stoked. Alema Harrington, how are you, sir? I'm doing so good. And, and I've see, been trying my, to... My mom would say, you're doing well. You're not doing good. So let me correct my... I'm doing well. <laughs> right. I'm doing well. And I love the you know the intro, Matt, that Dr. Matt, that you just gave, and and. Some insight as to you know what we're dealing with because um, as you talked about Casey, there's normies out there struggling with this, and and for us that are in that that world of addiction and dealing with that, you know, you add that layer on top of it, and and it becomes a struggle, and it's it is that. So it's a perfect yeah. storm.
1: I think uh, some people who are in recovery might actually have a little advantage right now because the normies who have never. Drank every day and done those <laughs> sorts of things, you know that they're they're starting down a path that that could be very destructive. So yeah. if you, if you have a little bit of time of sobriety under your belt, man, maybe maybe it's an advantage. I don't yeah. know.
0: Hey, I want to start out by saying because you probably get this a lot. I got it quite a bit when I was first into the recovered world as Alema Harrington. How did that happen yeah. to him? I mean, he was a superstar in football, a graduate, a TV guy.
2: How, how did this yeah. happen to you? You, not not you. I, that doesn't right? happen to people like you.
0: <laughs> but then I want to go back and go, really? Let's go Jack, you know, yeah. uh, uh you know, all the celebrities, Ben Affleck, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but addiction yeah.
2: does not discriminate. No, it doesn't. And and I was one of those guys that that got a, you know, two. I I guess in in some cases because I work as a substance use disorder counselor now, so I I see all kinds of different clients and cases that that come my way. And a lot of people start very early, like 13, 14 years old, right? I was one of them. Um, and I wasn't in that category. I was the guy who grew, you know, born and raised in Hawaii and, and was one of the few, you know, LDS population is smaller, it's still large, but it's smaller there. And so you're kind of a little bit different and, and people know like, oh, that's the Mormon kid and that kind of thing. And can't so you can't play on drink, Sundays. Right. Yeah. And can't play on Sundays. and so. You know, I experimented a little bit in my high school days, but not not really anything that was you know over the top. I didn't really like weed when I first tried it, and um, alcohol you know tasted terrible. And so, it wasn't until my senior year in high school that I started to kind of do that senior party thing a little bit, and I I, you know found that I kind of like this and, and the social ease that I have. Because in spite of being you know, a somewhat popular person, I still had this social anxiety, right? And then, then the, the alcohol, man, beer really helped that a lot. And so then I ended up at BYU, and I thought, well, I'll go to BYU. Nobody drinks there. Um, and nobody does drugs there. And, uh, Former and, BYU yeah, grad. And we I laugh know because that's not we know true, the yeah. reality of there. you know, to just, some degree, there's like an entire underground, or oh. at least when I was there in the '80s, right? Yeah, there's this entire underground movement that is rebelling against, right? The the what would be con- considered LDS social norms. like a counterculture. Right? Did exactly. Jim McMahon
0: go to BYU? Yes, he did.
2: <laughs> in fact, it's funny because I, my father, who was an entertainer and Hawaii and and uh, had a, a a show in Hawaii for many years. He he befriended Jim McMahon when Jim was had just gone to the Bears had been drafted, and so when when Jim McMahon found out that my brother and I had committed to BYU, he was down on this he was on this honeymoon in Hawaii, and so he told tells my dad tell the boys to come over and visit with me. So we go over to this really plush hotel, and he's in there. He's got he's got a a, a cooler with beer in it in his hotel right yeah (laughs) and so you know he's kicked back and he tells us these stories about his experience at byu and how you know people didn't understand him and they were kind of jerks to him he was the catholic kid from roy and and uh so we got kind of a um you know a preview of, of what that might end up looking like but even for me going to byu i still like i didn't think i was gonna i didn't consider myself a partier i remember being on my recruiting trip at byu and there were guys that were partying and and I wasn't I wasn't part of that group at that time and so it wasn't until like you know I started at you know going to school at BYU and the first time that that um, I was prescribed uh, a narcotic a an opiate was at BYU and I had plenty of injuries as a high school football player and, and athlete but never once had I been prescribed an opiate. And so I remember being in John Hall at Helaman Halls and uh, coming back from the training room after practice with a little manila envelope that had my medications in it. At that time, you'd go see the doctor. If you had an injury during practice, then they'd say, okay, go see the trainer after practice. And then then you might end up going to the doctor. You go to the doctor. And at that time, we had a pharmacy that was inside the locker room. So where the locker room was and the doctor's office was in the training room, you would go see the doctor. They would give you a prescription or they would just let the pharmacist know you'd walk over to the next like the next door over. And that was the pharmacy, and they would give you your medication for the day. And it wasn't always narcotics. I mean, I want to be clear that it wasn't like the, that. So that's where you got all your dope. <laughs> um, but that was the first time I was prescribed, and I had a Percocet. I was given Percocet and Soma. For those who don't know what Percocet is, an opiate. Soma is is a pretty powerful muscle relaxer, mm-hmm. um, and I'm it's it's a. Um, I'm not sure, Doc. Is it in the benzodiazepine category? Well, think I think it is a benzo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's pretty. You know, it's in. It has addiction know, it's, it's, it's there with yeah, Valium, yeah. at least in my opinion. Valium, along with Xanax, and it's in that category. So something. One of the other players, older players that was experienced, told me to oh, take take one of these, take two of these. And I remember, I took those, and I remember when it hit my bloodstream, it was like just, it was like one of those those moments where and aha moment it was a it was a life changing moment for me cuz you got to consider that i'm at BYU as you know coming from hawaii as, as this star football player and now i'm at BYU and everybody's a star football player and i'm i'm you know i'm buried uh, on the depth chart i'm i'm not getting any reps in practice and i'm feeling like really less than not good enough right which just accentuates all of these other inner feelings that that, you know, maybe at some point might have been a little bit latent because I was, you know, being successful in sports. But all of a sudden, I'm just really feeling that. And when those drugs hit my system and it just it just made me feel like I'm okay Mm -hmm. And for me, I realized today, looking back on that moment, that that was problematic. That that was a problem, you know, because it wasn't about the physical pain for me. It was how it relieved my emotional pain. And so it's, you know, that's where it started for me. And then it, it when would you're be, a kid, that yeah. feels good, right? Like, oh, yeah. like when
1: you're a kid, all of a sudden you found relief for that tension that that you're just living with all the time. And when you're there, uh, you're starting over. Like a lot of people, uh, this fall, going to try to figure out college, whether yeah. you're playing sports or not. And you might have been something in high school, but now it's like a reset. Yeah. And, but he's an athlete.
0: He's been told but to he, play but through pain.
1: He, play through the pain. But like what – so I redshirted at BYU yeah. kicking and to say i played was much overstated yeah, i did i, didn't do, that. mine I didn't too. do that's that. okay yeah. <laughs> no you don't <laughs> i do but um but like you get there and all of a sudden you're nobody you have to start from zero right, right? and so even if physically you're you're um you're doing well and you don't know that the coaches are even looking at you you feel like nobody's looking at me mm-hmm. and so that tension that anxiety uh, and and it is problematic, but when you're a kid, it's magical. Yeah, you don't know that it's a
2: problem. Yeah, because we talk about you know now uh, as a counselor, you know I'm able to recognize that the drugs were not a problem. From drugs were my solution, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was the solution to my social anxiety. That was the solution to me feeling less than, not good enough. Builds a con- right? like
1: a false confidence. Absolutely,
2: and for me, mm-hmm. and and especially at that time in my life, man, it was it, it was probably you know you know, you could even look back down and say that might have been life-saving for you that you know you had that because you you get into a deep depression maybe I would have dropped out of school or or something but anyway that's where it started for me and then it was you know when I got injured or when somebody else had some pills or whatever and then I started drinking too my freshman year uh in, in at BYU and um it was a different world back then and um and I found that that you know, so a, a beer with some pills, man, that was that was amazing. You know the the feeling of euphoria that I would get from that, and um, so it continued. And and eventually, by the time you know I get to my senior season at BYU, it, it has spiraled completely out of control. And somehow I graduated. I have two back surgeries along the way. And for for me, once, you know, I get into that chronic back pain, um, it's almost like, you know, what else am I going to do? It's like my, my football career was marginal at best at that point, And I didn't have any hope that it was going to be what I had dreamed it was going to be. NFL or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's like at that point, it's just like, uh, you know, I, I kind of, of embraced this party scene kind of guy. And. I was in Lavelle Edwards office, you know, pretty often for, you know, getting in trouble and being put on double secret probation and be up (laughs) at the standards office on the seventh floor. And and so I was very familiar with with what that was about. Um, And the the, the wild thing for I think for for most of us that end up in that spot, it's like I never imagined that that's how it was going to go for me. And 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 eventually it did in the end of my my senior season at, at BYU um i had picked up my scholarship a year l- late because of the the missions at that time I had gone from from 2 years to a year and a half a bunch of guys came back they held my scholarship to my sophomore season and so i was done playing but they i was still on scholarship and i'd had my second back surgery and um was in a lot of pain And was used, you know, doctor shopping, multiple doctors and um, doing everything that I could to stay high all the time because that's felt good. And uh, I had gotten a prescription and and forged the prescription for the refills, which at that time you could, you know, you could sometimes alter. They're, They're much more obviously careful about the way that that prescriptions get passed today but back then you you could get away with some things and and I thought I was getting away with something. I gave you know went to a pharmacy to to fill the prescription and uh the pharmacist looked at me, looked at the prescription, looked at me, looked at the prescription and he said hang hang on a second. And as soon as he said that, I got scared and so I I left. And I remember I called our our trainer at BYU his name was George Curtis. You probably remember George. Yeah. Good guy. Really mm-hmm. good guy. And I said, "You know, George, uh I need some help. I think I have a pain management problem, right? I didn't I didn't even consider that I might have an addiction, right, that I, you know, had the disease of addiction. I had a pain management problem because what was happening was I hadn't managed this properly. So let me figure out. So he was able to get me into treatment. And really what I was doing, I was running from, I thought the DEA was going to, you know, that that was during the days of the Ram, and, you know, I thought, you know, they were going to come break down my door. Which wasn't reality, but it scared me into treatment. And I went to a treatment facility for the first time And I want to say this was uh, like 89 or 90 was the first time I went to treatment. I've been to treatment, you know, close to 10 times now. And so that first trip in treatment, I still remember going there thinking, well, I'm just going to see what this is like. And maybe I can learn something about how to manage my pain. And Exploratory. I'm, yeah. Right. And and I remember being there was a 28 day program. I remember being in there. I tell this story. Sometimes I was there and there was, I was in a group setting, which you're familiar with Casey. And you're sitting in that circle of the group and they're right. We're sharing our stories. And this lady is telling her story. She's saying, yeah, you know, and, and I was using 30, um, pills a day between the, wow. um, volume and, the and the pain pills. And I remember thinking holy, like this (laughs) chick is sick, right? I'm like, man, it's a good thing you're here because you are really sick. (laughs) And not realizing, because at that time I might use maybe 12 Percocet a day or something like that. I didn't realize, right, by the time I was done, tolerance was so, I was using 100 tab 5s a day. Right. And just Whoa. the acetaminophen in that is enough to, you know, that's kill your liver your
1: kidneys. Now, yeah.
2: And and so I, I had no idea my first trip to treatment that that how progressive this disease was. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at this lady like, man, you are really sick, having no idea that that if that's the, the gauge of of your illness, then, then I would be end up way sicker than that. So. Anyway, I go through treatment. I didn't finally get sober until my fifth time through treatment, and I lost a you know a family along the way, um, and and uh, a wife and three kids, and um, you know we can explore more of the, the parts of that story. But um, you know the the bottom line is is when it came to a head for me, I had been sober for eight years. I was working here at Channel Five. Myself, Craig Bowler, Jack Sports Beat Saturday and Sports Beat Sunday with some good years. I was working here. I was a camera guy. As we're as we're you know reliving this last dance with Michael Jordan and uh, Bowler and I actually just did a Ghostcast uh, last night. Ghostcast, check it out on uh, the uh, the Apple Store app. But um, as we did that last night, you know, reflecting on what an amazing time for sports that was, right? And And for Utah, riding, riding the crest. Right. BYU goes to to the Cotton Bowl and, you know, University of Utah basketball was in the final four in the championship game. And we're just we are just living the dream. 2002, the Olympics come here. Um, but something happened. Craig Bolerjack left Channel 5. And the assumption, at least for me, was, OK, they're going to promote me to the weekday sports. anchor. you're the heir apparent. Right. I'm the heir apparent. That didn't happen and they they say in in recovery uh, you know that resentment is the number one offender, it <laughs> destroys more alcoholics than anything else, and for me, I picked up a resentment right towards the person they hired instead of me, which was Tom Kirkland, pretty open about that now, Tom Kirkland, the station, people in general god it 's like this is not fair and it was at that point that I started to slip in in what I thought I had as my recovery. And slowly but surely, we went into a complete spiral Till in 2002, Channel 5, after the Olympics, did not renew my contract. That was at the end of a a second three-year contract at Channel 5. They did not renew my contract. And um, I was just, you know, I was out on my own. And they were still paying my contract. They said, "You know what? It, it, this is how bad it was. They're like, we're going to let you go, even though you're sp- not done till August. You got three months left on your contract, but you can leave now." <laughs> 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 and the crazy thing, you know, is that they, there was never anything said about my drug use, and I was having, you know, uh, ordering drugs over the internet through pharmacies and having it delivered here to Channel Five. Wow! Right? And and you know, in the the dressing rooms downstairs in my locker, I had lines of cocaine and Oxycontin lined up. And, and I mean, I was a freaking mess. I was a mess. But there was never any mention of that. They just, you know, kind of quietly let me go. Nobody ever confronted right? you nobody about ever that? Nobody ever confronted me about it, at least not that I can remember. And it's possible they did and I didn't know because I was so wasted. But, um, you know, it was it was wild because that was during the during the Olympics and we have, you know, Bob Costas in the building and I'm back in the locker room We're in the dressing room doing lines of, of coke and and, and Oxycontin just to get right. You know, I'm not getting high at that point, I'm just getting straight. And uh, so eventually I end up back in treatment in two thousand and two and discovered something very um, for me important in my recovery today. And what I discovered was the people that had stayed sober, I'd gone to that treatment center 10 years prior to that in 92 Mm -hmm. and got sober for eight years, got the job at channel five. Life was good. And then I go through this relapse. So aside from the resentment, which I touched on already, understanding how critical that is not to have that in in, in your life, they say. You know, resentment, the, the, the way that it affects us, especially as alcoholics and addicts. For me, I recognize today that that God, this light in my life is is that's what keeps me sober. I'm not capable of not drinking. I'm not. But God does that for me every day. So if I lose God, then then I'm doomed like because if it, if I'm left to my own means, I'm going to drink again. I'm going to use again. And with resentment, it says when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit and we drink again. And for us to drink is to die. This is what Bill W wrote in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and just beautifully scripted. And so I get back to treatment and I realize the importance of like, dude, you can't be picking up resentments. Like you gotta have an outlet to let that go. And then secondly, the thing that I discovered, the the guys that were still there that were sober, and there was, you know, more than a handful of them, and and it was a large facility that I'd gone through, in Hawaii, and they continued to work with other alcoholics and addicts. And the what community, I, yeah, the, the community, whether they were the chair of their their AA, um, you know, the, their 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 uh, their chapter, or, or or you know, some of them were counselors, you know, had gone back and, and become counselors. Or they were working, you know, as coaches, uh, you know, addiction coaches or working on the facility. And, and I recognized at that point, like that was the biggest difference. I thought I was active in church. I was like the elders quorum president. I was that kind of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, OK, yeah, the, I'm, I'm doing the spiritual thing. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really connecting w- the way I needed to with the community and carrying the message of recovery. So I made that commitment in 2002 when I went through and got sober again that, you know, this time around, I'm going to carry the message. And and for the most part, I've done that. And I've had relapses between then and now. And they've been mostly the times when when it's been like I let go of that part of what I'm doing. And I think, okay, uh, I don't need to do that right now. I'm too busy to do that. And I'm recognizing the importance of it. And understanding that I, I can't afford to let that go.
0: You're listening to Project Recovery. We're listening to Alema Harrington, and he's talking about his his journey through addiction and beyond. And uh, we're going to be back in just a few seconds because I want to find out your keys to letting resentment go. You know, that what, for me, I, I think I've got a lot of resentment, and, and still I haven't <laughs> processed a lot of that information because, to be honest with you, Dr. Matt, I just don't know if I'm ready right now for it, and, and I don't know if it's something that you need to rush into, but it sounds like, you know, through all your stories, you know, losing a wife you know kids and, and you said you were open to talk about this i mean how were some of, how do you let go of some yeah. of these resentments i don't i mean is it a process is it a
2: you know, the, the interesting thing for, for me is, is you look at the 12-step the pro, program, let's say, and Dr. Matt and, you know, clients that you will work with, you know, patients that come in. It is, a, you know, a step at a time process is something you work towards. You can't get over the resentment just by saying, oh, you know, I'm over it. Because how many times do you hear some, somebody like, you know, talk about something that they were upset about? It, but I'm over it now. I'm yeah. over it. Yeah. And it's, it's just, so obvious that words. they're not. Right. And and, and so you can't get over it by just saying that you're I'm over it. Well, there's a difference
1: between knowledge and insight. And so a lot of times people will say say what they know they need to say, (laughs) like, oh, I'm over it. I don't want to be resentful. Right. Right. But they haven't really deepened their understanding of who they are and that situation and the other relationships and really developed an insight which is powerful and then Mm -hmm. you can let it go but it is definitely a process and it's hard and i think that's why most people avoid doing
2: it here's one of the things casey that that was helpful for me was and i talked about this earlier today i did uh did group at our our do this morning down in provo and talking with our clients about about resentment and letting go and and having you know how resentment resentment is just like drugs and alcohol you know um It's an emotional poison. I didn't use use drugs and alcohol because it sucked. (laughs) Like, I used drugs and alcohol because it worked. You know, people don't get resentful because it, it doesn't work. They, they they do because it cause it's some 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 it's soothing in some way like it makes me and, and there's plenty well, of chemicals that are released mm-hmm. in the process anger that, yes yeah. that are intoxicating chemicals. absolutely absolutely so it's easy to become really uh, addicted to just that that anger and resentment is is this this reoccurring resilient type of anger. You know, when I talk about resentment, I use the example where I was talking to a guy, and and I was in treatment talking to the guy at breakfast, and and he sat down, and he was so pissed. I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, man, that John, like he was just going off about John. He's like, man, you know, telling me this whole thing about what John had did, and I'm like, man, like what are you gonna do about it? And so I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, like John is sitting right there, dude. He's was at the next table, and he's going, no, not that John. And it's like well, what, John, are you talking about? I said, well, you don't know. I said, well, when did this happen? Like yesterday when you were out on Passing Notice this happened three years ago. I'm like, what? <laughs> right? And, and But that's what resentment yeah. is, is to carry this emotion, right, yeah. uh, of like it just happened and, and we become kind of like addicted to that. Like it's sort of an empowering again, feeling, right? right? Yeah. So for, for me, it was realizing that I couldn't get over that just by... As you said, Dr. Matt, just saying, like, you know, I'm over it. Um, it was a process. And then there was a recognition that came there, similar to my recognition with drugs and alcohol, was that I might not be capable of doing this on my own. Like, I might need some divine intervention for me. Like, when I, the way I look at it today, like, forgiveness is not a human trait. That is a divine trait. And so for for me to think, oh I'll just I can get over it if I try harder. That would be like me saying like I can stop drinking if I try harder.
1: Oh I tried.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So for me it was understanding, okay, it might take that same type of approach for my resentment as it did for this alcohol and drugs that I was dealing with, which is was has been a twelve step process which and continues today. But if you look at where resentment is and and getting past that, that anger and those things are, it's not step two. It doesn't. Sh- I mean, you like step eight and step nine is when you write down, you know, a list of, of people that you've harmed and become willing to make amends to them. And step four and five is where you look at the things that have happened in your life. But, you know, that's that's not in the big. Be- There's a lot of spiritual work that has to be done to get to that point. At least that has been my experience. And so it's understanding case for, for me. It's like I might not be able to get over this on my own. Like I might need God's help for this. And then that opens the door for a lot of, you know, solutions and power to start to flow through.
1: And that's the difference between trying harder and letting go. Yeah. Right? And so I think you have you have to stop trying harder in the ways we think of trying and we have to take it down a new path, which is letting it go and being open yeah. to help and support. And that's I think when a person's able to do that, that's a real step in the right direction of of gaining that insight.
2: You know I'm, I'm I'm guessing you know Casey that, that you've experienced this too. Is just that that so many of the things that we do in recovery are counterintuitive. Oh yeah, right. And then they tell you all the time, like, whatever your first thought is, don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, which just counterproductive because my whole life, I'm all, that's how I got to where
0: I was, right. by, by taking that first thought. Yeah. People are like, that's crazy. And I go, okay, but it, yeah, and it seemed to work out. You. Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah. The, and the insanity of, of this disease, right, is, is that um, we started doing it because it was working. The insanity is that I'm still doing it and it stopped working a long time ago. You like, said what that the so hell is beautifully. That?
0: Yeah, because I I kept thinking, well, I'm, I'm still doing what yeah. I've always been doing,
2: <laughs> but it's not working
0: anymore. Yeah. You know, and I remember seeing this thing with Samuel Jackson, and they says, "When did you stop drinking?" And he goes, "When it wasn't working for me anymore." Yeah. You know, and and I was like.
2: Wow.
0: <laughs> but the insanity was I kept doing the same thing, thinking yeah. that it was going to all come
2: back, but yeah. it, it didn't. Somehow, somehow, this time, it's going to be different.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, I think as human beings, we have kind of this inborn tendency that if, if, if this amount of anything is good, then more <laughs> of that thing is better. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And I think that accounts for half the troubles we have as human beings is instead of... Doing the Sam Jackson thing and saying, hey, that's not working. I'm done. We're just like, well, I'll do it more. Yeah. And you can see how that, I mean, whatever our bad habits are, we keep going down that path. It gets worse and worse until we eventually realize we have to cut it off and let it go. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, you said through your recovery, you've been to 10 different recovery (laughs) centers. Yeah. Yeah and you even said that you've relapsed, you know, a time or two again. Yeah. Speak a little bit about the relapses because I think in this state of Utah, uh, a lot of people hear the word relapse yeah. and think that they've gone all the way back to yeah. where they were.
2: But what is your experience with relapses? And and, and I'm glad you bring this up because I don't you know, I don't get an opportunity necessarily to talk, you know, about this in 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 a general forum as much as I would do like let's say in a in, with clients in Ardu or at our do. Um, because relapse happens, right? It's like, it's, it's, and when it happens, it's like, I remember as a counselor, finally getting a different perspective on it when somebody relapsed and I was like, okay. Whereas opposed to like, when I relapse, it's like, oh my gosh, Like, what am I doing? What have I done? It's like, when it's realizing, like we're dealing with the disease, nobody gets mad at cancer patients when their cancer comes back, right? And nobody goes like, you didn't chemo hard enough. (laughs) <laughs> it's like that. You're like, what's wrong with you, right? But we do that all the time with people that deal with the disease of addiction. So for me, it's like any time that 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 you know I pick up anger and resentment, I let that fester, or the you know the the times when when I, I just you know start to minimize and justify, which all happens when I'm letting go of my connection with divine, because that's where. The power to to overcome all of these, you know, these defects of character to come from is from that power that is is given by God for me. And so, you know, for for me, it's like slipping into. Well, I think that maybe I can use a little bit. Right. And and fortunately for me today, I've been in, you know, the the last major relapse I had was seven years ago. And for, for, for me looking back on it, I thought maybe I can drink a little bit, you know, I was going through a rough time emotionally and, and I, I thought I'd like, like I need some kind of relief and I, I wasn't finding it and I wasn't really exercising my program and, and, and looking for that solution in a spiritual sense. And so all of a sudden the, the wild thing is that, that, Like, alcohol made sense. Like, I can drink a little bit. And so, you know, I I drank a little bit. And I thought, wow, I drank a little bit and it was okay. Right? Maybe I can drink some more. And this is the way the alcoholic and addicted brain works, right? It starts to justify It's just trying to minimize it enough to get it back into your system. And then for, you know, as I understand the disease of addiction, that's when the chemical reaction happens in the body of the alcoholic in the addict. Once I put that, those chemicals in my body, it triggers my midbrain, my amygdala, and it mm-hmm. fires up and it says, we need more of that or we're going to die. Um, and, I, and then I lose agency. I lose control over where it goes from there. But I was fortunate enough to have enough understanding about the disease at that time that and I had good people around me that I was able to get into a day treatment and I could go to outpatient therapy and get some help. And so I was able to do that, get back on track. Then, you know, had another slip, you know, and and. Able to identify it immediately. Sometimes not immediately. Maybe after a week or two, is like, okay, this is this is not working. Yeah. yeah, but still having enough clarity to to understand that you know I need I need to to reach out for help. And that to me, Casey has been the the key. One of the the main messages that that I try to share today. It's like, dude, if you relapse or if you've used, man, t- okay, but but let's just deal with that. And I still can think of when I, you know, got sober, thinking I'm not going to tell anybody till I have five years again, because I was embarrassed that I only had six months, hmm. or I embarrassed that I only have one year, right? And today I recognize what nonsense that is. There's still a part of my ego and pride that's like, ah, oh, man, it, like it hurts. You're
0: an athlete. I'm going to really? recover better
2: than anybody. Yeah, and and <laughs> I don't, I want, I don't want anybody to know that I that I had, you know, a moment of weakness and failure. Like what what will people say? Like they heard me speak about the power of recovery and, and then I then I screw up. You know, it's like the Mclemore song, which is starting so over freaking on point, man. I remember hearing that song just getting Teals, tears, man. Going... Just,
1: like, He's singing man. what I'm oh, thinking. Oh my gosh.
2: The the power of, of that, you know? For those of us that have been there and it's like what do I do? Like what do I do? And so you know, part of the message is what you do is you reach out, reach out to somebody, talk to them. I have people in my life, Christian Smith, who's been on the show before, a good, a great friend of mine. Great LDS guy. Yeah. He
0: swore the most on this podcast yeah. out
2: of anybody. Yeah. yeah. He's got the record. you got love him. You <laughs> I was, know, like, he's, I was the, like, are you sure you're your, LDS? Your <laughs> classic like, LDS crack <laughs> addict yeah. the best. And so, you know. I that that was a breakthrough for me was was having him in my, in my life because he provided this kind of this this s- space of safety, right? That I could reach out to him and be honest. Because that that's hard. You know, it's hard to to to
1: be vulnerable and let down that wall and say, man, I'm struggling. Well, don't you think that's because so many people out there, somebody like Christian would would understand you yes but so many people out there have that preconceived notion of what an addict is they don't understand that it's a disease they're judgmental isn't yeah. that still i don't don't you think that's why people yes, are like i people, don't want to let anybody know i'm struggling
2: and there's still people to this day i have people in my life that don't believe this is a disease yeah. and think that it, that's a, a moral failure or a weakness or or like you're like, the try harder yeah, method. like you how, how could you Yeah. Like, how could you go back and use again?
0: Oh, I've had that conversation with people. And
2: it's like, well, let me tell you how you could. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's still a lot of
1: misunderstanding. But we end up believing that ourselves, right? Like, don't you think people. Like that's what keeps you silent, yeah. is because you you're believing that message that's out there because that was what was pounded into everyone's head growing up, yeah. And so it's not until you get out and you really start to explore the fact that you know what maybe I should talk about that relapse because that's where I'm learning the most. Yes. Look, look at all the things I'm learning and and the growth you get through having a relapse, not that you seek a relapse for that, but when relapses happen, yeah. they're powerfully they're powerful and can move people in the right direction. And and uh, I'll tell you
2: you know being being stuck in that space of 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 having relapsed and not telling anybody is the most probably you know it it, it it's torture. Mm because you know the the thing the importance of honesty in, in as it as it relates to you know period but as it relates to to this disease is you know if i can't be honest with myself then 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 where am i and one of the important steps in the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous is we admitted to god to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs and and really for a lot for a lot of us, for me, that might have been the first time that, that those three people knew that, you know, mm. you know the other person and, and me being part of that group. And most of the time, it's us
0: being part of that group. Yes. Most everybody around us know or have an idea. But I remember the first time that I was honest with myself. I remember when I was up at the detox at uni, and I had to come down and go to a 12-step meeting. And that was the first time. And I've never been to one. And it was my first time. I stood up, (laughs) and I said, my name is Casey Scott, and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, And it was probably one of the most freeing things you know, everyone, my friends, my family—they all knew. Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I yeah, wasn't—I I wasn't very good yeah, at hiding I, it. Everybody else
2: had diagnosed you a long time ago.
0: You know, right? But but for me to stand up and say it about
2: myself, I mean, it was like, huh. yeah, it's huge. And and for for me, you know, one of the, one of the 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 groups that I get the I have the the, the honor and pleasure of doing is a Step One group. Step one is admitting we were powerless over alcohol, or our lives have become unmanageable. Most of that seems like that's pretty self evident. By the time you end up in treatment, yeah. but the truth is that even you know for for you know being in that first part of, tr- I'm still not willing to admit. You know the big book says we have to fully concede to our innermost selves that we're. I mean, that's a lot of depth right there to our innermost selves mm-hmm. that we were alcoholic.
0: Well, think about it. Right? You said it when you first went to that first rehab. You yeah. were sitting in there, and the lady who was doing thirty. Yeah, she was sick. Yeah, you're in the exact same class. I'm not as like her, that. But you're <laughs>
2: not her. I'm not one of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think that's the the part that that many of us I struggled with, and I witnessed this when guys are going through their step one, and I and I feel their pain because because it's so hard, because I have to admit that that I have done these things to my kids. And to me, I'm like, I can't be that guy. I can't be that guy. I don't care what I have to do, I cannot be that guy. And the truth is that, that I have to own that I'm that guy. And and I watch guys go through that process. I'm like, please, man, just just let it go and say I'm that guy. Because none of us want to be that guy, but but I'm that guy, Casey. Okay, I'm that freaking guy, and and until I got there, then I was was unable to really move past that. Oh, excuse me, you're getting emotional, and and I, that was the toughest thing for me.
0: I've got three kids, and I had to admit that I was that guy. I'm not that guy yeah. now. I'm not that yeah. guy now. I'm, that, but I was that yeah. guy, and. F- All I can do is just keep trying to be better each day. But I was that guy. And that was so hard for me to swallow. I was the guy on TV. I was the guy that everybody loved to see. But I was the guy that ruined it all. Yeah, They could have ended up in jail and have to see my kids graduate through bars.
2: Yeah, I was that guy. I was that guy but you're not that guy. not that guy today no you know god willing I, you know i can continue that path and for 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 any of us and and we're all vulnerable we're all human and and you know we we have weakness and and those things can happen um but as as long as i can can you know continue to to understand that um you know that 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 I haven't, I, I don't, I'm not cured of this disease, right? I had a counselor tell me once to, you know, take your step one, that experience, right? And put it in your front pocket, pull it out and remind yourself every day. Cause life's going to get good, right? Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, you, you start living a sober life and a life, you know, with these program, the the principles of this program, life just gets good. And it's really easy to forget that the things that I have done, it's like, ah, Maybe, like it, maybe it wasn't that bad, and so the the point that my counselor was making is, I want you to pull that not not for morbid, you know, reflection, not not to say, man, I was such a piece of trash. It's like to look at it and say, man, th- this is what what God brought me out of, and if, if I go back and and let go of the program that I have, I'm right back there, you know. And that's the beauty of working with clients today is is I can see them go through their step one. I'm like. Whoo, man, God, thank you. Thank you for where I am today, where you brought me today.
0: You're listening to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction, more importantly, about recovery. Alema Harrington is sharing his story with us. Uh, In a few seconds, make sure you tune over to the next episode. We're going to find out what he's doing now and how he's giving back. I want to be honest with you you have been so open and honest with us some of your insights some of your stories have been just so
2: amazing what has recovery given you thus far Wow I, I mean uh, the recovery has just given me me a life um, and the the blessing for for me today is that let, let's be honest like I, I, I live a dream um uh you know I'm fortunate to to be able to travel with with my wife and kids. My wife is an avid traveler and and we we go all over the the world, really. And uh and then I have two of the best jobs that you could ask for. I work for the Utah Jazz um as pre-half and post-game uh you know host. And you know in in my business, on the sports side of it, like that's the pinnacle like if you can work for the jazz, i mean that that's as almost as big as it gets, and so I get to do that and in spite of the fact that there're in this this you know covid and quarantine, but we're we're moving out of it, we're hopeful that we'll have you know some part of a season here this year uh and playoffs and and whatnot. but then on the other side, I get to work in recovery. And the, the beauty of that for me is that, you know, I, I, I get to witness people going through this process and, and at times I get to help people go through this process you know, and play a part in that and share my experience and, and and my strength and my hope with them. One of the things that, that as you know, Casey, you know, as, as we go through what we do now is, The fact that I've been there is a huge asset today, right? When I was going through, it was a lot of turmoil and trouble. And it's like, I don't know how this is ever going to benefit me. But today, when I meet with a client and they're talking about the stuff that they did and how they took, you know, the money that was supposed to go for the kids to buy some clothes and I spent it on dope or, you know, the different things. It's like when they're talking about that, I'm like, yep, I did that. (laughs) Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And like really, it's like yeah, I, I did I, exactly the same thing, and that ability to relate with them allows us to be able to start to share some solutions, right? Because now they're curious. Well, if you did that, how come you know where? How did you get where you are today? Well, let me let me share with you a couple of things that have happened in my life, and so it allows us to take that you know what what could have been just an absolute mess. And turn it into to something very beneficial, and so I get to do that, and I do that today at at Ardu Treatment Center in, in Provo, Utah, which is an amazing facility. And you know, it's it's. I remember when Ardu first opened. I was working in another treatment center. Ardu first opened. This was about a year and a half ago. And so they had an open house, and so I went down to tour this facility. I'm like, "Wow, this place is amazing! It's like a spa, right? You walk in, it's white marble. Oh man, I was like, this place is incredible." And um, and then then I found out that they were doing some, you know, kind of cutting edge uh, types of treatment and modalities. And I was like, okay I'm like, you piqued my interest because they uh, we do um, amino acid therapy, um, which has been proven to to be real important, important. And I know Amy was on your show, too. Yeah. Um, And she's the director of nursing at Ardu talking about, you know, how it helps to restore the brain and the process, because the, the brain is damaged when we go through, you know, addiction. And so for it to start producing its own dopamine and, and the endorphins, it, it takes some time, but we can, we can help that with the, the amino acid therapy. And then also, um, you know, you, you add to that, you know, the oxygen therapy and the different things that, that they, they, they're doing there that, that is cutting edge. And then um, just the environment, you know, I've been, like I did group there this morning, And it's such an amazing experience to sit there with people that are, are ready to make this change in their life and some that, that aren't right. But, but, uh, being able to, to see that excitement and enthusiasm in in their lives. And for me to be able to share that enthusiasm with them is like, that's one of the great blessings of what I get to do. And you do this on the podcast to yourself and I remember the first time I went to an AA meeting, it was run by an old-timer, and I remember getting up out of that meeting at the end and thinking, man, if this is what recovery looks like, give me a drink. And I got nothing against, you know, that, that old-timer, I hope he's still sober today. But that was not attractive to me, man. No. It's like, I, I don't think I want that. Like to me, dope was better than what was going on at that AA meeting. A bunch of old curmudgeons commiserating over
0: bad coffee.
2: I don't want that. And so for for me, like the role that that I get to play today, the role that you play today, Casey, is is important because um, it, it gives people hope that sobriety and recovery can be fun. Because in, in my mind, I was thinking, man, you take away the dope from my life. I'm, I'm not sure I can have fun anymore. I don't know I can watch a freaking movie. Yeah. Right? It's like because i had done all of those things, you know, inebriated. So it's like... I needed an ex- I needed an example in my life that could show me that that recovery was was freaking awesome. The first because time it I is.
0: the first time I played softball sober, I was forty three. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know you were supposed to play it sober. You know, I was like, uh, you mean you're doing this without beer?
2: Yeah. All right, I'll
0: give it a shot. And you know what?
2: It's amazing. Has fun. Yeah,
0: and it was it was a blast. And yeah. that was a lot of what my recovery looked like was going out and finding out if the things I liked when I was drinking if i really truly liked yeah i've talked about it on this podcast one of the scariest times for me was getting back out on the golf course yeah and without the four beer buzz without any help did i like it and you know what turns out i like it i like it a lot more <laughs> and i'm actually better yeah yeah,
1: yeah. imagine that <laughs> yeah, right? imagine that.
0: and so but i think that's what's so powerful about this podcast and your story and your willingness to come on and share it is that recovery is possible yeah. and sometimes as addicts, the only thing we have before we go in is hope. Yeah, and that's what I like to say. We're dealing on this podcast is
2: we're giving people hope. I got to tell you, so I I did group this morning right at our at do, and I'm, I was leaving the facility, and so I'm walking out through through our, our main entrance, and I walk out, and uh, um, and there was a a car parked right there in, in kind of the receiving area, and there was a brother in there, and and looking just like like just scared, and I remember thinking oh, my man, you you, you have no idea what, what's in front of you, man. It's going to be awesome. And I, so I had a chance to just spend a minute with him and, and tell him, man, I'm so glad you're here because some of us don't make it here, you know? A lot of us die along the way, and we don't need that. So, you know, his wife was there dropping him off and, you know, thanked her and told my brother, I said, I'll see you. Now. I'll be back next week to do group, and I look forward to seeing you. And just giving him the assurance, like you're in the right place, and, and this this is going to be good, man. It's going to be good. And and I'm you know I'm grateful for for those that that sh- carried that message for me, because there were times when the when I was didn't have a whole lot of hope right yeah and uh and i needed some encouragement and um you know we get to to provide that for for some people today
0: i mean i I heard him talking about you know with with the person sitting there yeah and this is going to sound weird but i'm kind of envious of some of those people because i know what's about to happen yeah their eyes are going to open their mind is you know and, and you just go Wow, it's beautiful. It really is, and I can't imagine my life any different than it is yeah. today. And I've heard so many mm-hmm. addicts come on and go, "I wouldn't wish this disease upon my best friend," mm-hmm. but I would not change a thing right now in Amen. my life. You know, which is seems you know <laughs> seems so weird because so many thing bad things have happened, <clears throat> yeah. but where I'm living and what I'm doing right now is so beautiful yeah. that I don't know if I'd be willing to give that all up.
2: Yeah. And it's, and really it's a byproduct or a result of what we'd been through because I'm, I'm the kind of stubborn guy that would not have accepted this, this spiritual solution, unless it was the only option I had left. Amen. And and that doesn't mean that I wasn't like a religious guy. You know, I consider myself to be that. But to to live this type of life, I'm like, "Eh, eh, what are my other options? Like, is there something else? So, Is there something else on the menu? Yeah. (laughs) For me, um, and for those of us that are out there that are stubborn like that, um, sometimes we, we don't choose this until it is the only option left. Dr. Matt, what do you think about today's episode?
1: Oh, it's, it's, you guys are like energy. You're like energizer <laughs> bunnies here in the room, you know. And actually, I I'm sitting here absorbing your energy and listening to you guys talk, and 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 I love Casey's optimism, and you have the same sort of personality, and and that's what people need. That's what people need: optimism and hope have been researched. And any program that is just infused with that loving, optimistic attitude, it it has a chance to be successful for people. And so I'm grateful that you guys uh, have turned your lives around and you're returning that energy to people. Um, I think for the listeners today, Alem, I'd love them to take away one thing, and that is you've mentioned so many times that the spiritual connection of yours is key. What's one thing you do every day... That helps you keep that connection
2: the the biggest the 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 people ask the questions like you know what's the key to to this program the key is humility well how do you stay humble and the answer to that is gratitude there you go and so for me like as a as an opiate addict um you know the withdrawal is 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 horrific right and so i can think of all the days that i woke up dope sick and needing, you know, not not wanting to use as much as having to use. I got no choice. Um, and so every day when I wake up, I might have the flu, but I'm not dope sick. I'm giving high fives, and I'm not dope sick biz niches. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, so, I, I'm so grateful for that. yeah. And uh, and knowing that I am 100% incapable in of doing that on my own. So I give, you know, glory to where the glory it needs to be to to be shown which is to God like god thank you you know my yeah. my the, the the thing that you'll hear me say a lot is
1: is right on god right on god thank you yeah. so that for me it's gratitude i i thought that might be the case <laughs> and and that's such a a psychologically and emotionally powerful place to tap in is gratitude real sincere gratitude can change a person's life so thank you amen
0: if people want more information about Ardu and uh, where do
2: they go, you can just go to Ardu.com. dot uh, com. You can go to ArduTreatmentCenters.com, too, but Ardu.com dot com will get you there. And and we try to for know, us post- guys
1: that grew up in Morgan, how do you spell Ardu?
2: A <laughs> R D U. And by the way, I'm glad you asked that question because um, Ardu. When I first turned like Ardu, what does that mean? Well, it comes from the Irish Gaelic word which means to rise up mm-hmm. and so I love you know uh, the the concept of, of, mm-hmm. of what our do what we do at our do it's it's a beautiful thing and uh, we're in Provo Utah and um, um, we would love to you know anybody that's looking for from some support some help but you guys uh, aren't out. just a recovery center you're also a detox facility
0: yes. as well and in so fact, that's unique yeah, the,
2: the one of the beautiful things about what we do at our do is we do medical, uh treatment you know for detox medical assistant treatment which for for those that they're like well why don't you just go and you just dry out it's not that easy in fact you it know, can be dangerous me, like i'd make it two days before i was like really on the run and i'd steal the keys and and i'd be down at, at you know pioneer park buying dope that's back when you could buy dope down there but um you know, it helps to have some medical assistance along the way. Twenty four hour nursing Zamister who who was here is you know she runs a, a great Program of uh, of nurses and, and, she's and The medical support that we have there is is awesome. So and we do we do actually medical detox for other treatment centers that that need somebody detox, and so they'll send them to us, and then we'll send them back. Or people come in and they'll go through our residential program as well. But yeah, but thanks for letting me or reminding me to point that out is that the the medically assisted detox is critical for alcohol. You can die, right? In, on seizures. benzos too. Yep. Um, and, and so, um, you know the the importance of of understanding that there is help, and you can do that. For me, that was one of the scarier things. It's like I can't stop using; it. I'm going to get so sick. We've had so many people on the podcast said I was I'd rather die than get dope sick. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. It's you, know, you you you're probably not going to die from it, but you want to. <laughs> and I I remember the last time I came off opiates, 2002, when I was coming off those opiates, man, I wanted to die. I wanted to die. Yeah. So,
0: well, we're so glad you yeah. didn't. And we're so appreciative of you stopping by and sharing your story. We want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Dr. Matt, Josh, everybody. Project Recovery brought to you by useonlyasdirected.org with a three part solution speak out, opt out, and of course, throw out. And in case you're wondering, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast.